Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. You have to be nimble in this business. You have to be able to think quickly. If the market changes, change with it. Adapt and overcome. You have to. Real estate, it's a real asset. It lives with the market. It's not just there collecting dust or increasing in value, it might decrease in value, then increase in value. You might have to do something to make it increase in value. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best Ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Slocum Reed, and today I'm joined by Anthony Scavo. Anthony is joining us from Westchester County, New York. He's president and COO of Basis Industrial, which is based in Boca Raton, Florida. They are a vertically integrated real estate owner operator. Their current portfolio consists of self-storage, industrial, retail, office, and residential. Cumulatively, over $750 million in assets under management. Anthony, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Yeah, so Anthony Scavo here. I started in this business when I was 17, working in the largest family-owned real estate companies in the country, in New York. I was there for 26 years. I've done this my whole life. I like to tell people I started inside actually doing the real physical work of construction and development and moved up into the office and the development part. I came to Basis in 2021. They brought me on actually to run the construction development for the self-storage development arm of the company. And at that time, that was the only one that existed. We pivoted at the end of 2021 to buying and acquiring multi-tenant industrial existing assets, not developing them. And there was a lot of similarities between those and self-storage that we had and we saw, and we decided to take advantage of them. And in the last, I would say 12 to 16 months, we bought about a little bit more than 2 million square feet, all in the state of Florida. We actually have one in Westchester County. That's the only one that we own outside of Florida. That's what we've been doing, and that's what we've been concentrating on the last couple of months. We still do self-storage development. We have about a million square feet of that under development right now as well, and that's all over the East Coast and Florida. We have one as far as Arizona. We have one in Detroit, three in New York State, three in Jersey, and a couple more scattered up and down the East Coast. So the primary focus right now, second half of 2023 for Basis Industrial, is ground-up development of self-storage? 
No, it's more acquiring more multi-tenant industrial assets. We slowed down on the self-storage just because the way interest rates are, interest rates rise. You leverage most of the money you buy a development project with, and it's hard to get that development yield while rates rise like this. A lot of institutional capitals come into the self-storage market, and it's also made it a little bit harder to find sites just because people know if it's a self-storage site, there's a lot more people buying them now. So it makes the value go up. When the demand goes up, the value goes up. It's simple. There's more people demanding that kind of zoning on these sites. So it makes it a little bit harder to find those little, we like to call them holes in the donuts where it's very high demand and very low supply. So those are where we like to go. But we still do about three to four self-storage development buildings a year around that. But most of our time has been spent growing this portfolio of multi-tenant industrial assets all over. Florida now we're expanding to Texas, as I think I mentioned previously. And mid-October, we should close on about six to 700,000 square feet in Dallas. And we're going to add another 400,000 square feet to the state of Florida. That'll bring us around three and a half million square feet total in under two years. And your acquisition focus is on multi-tenant industrial. Yes. When most people talk about industrial, it's more you hear these big box, Amazon, last mile distribution, things like that. Ours is the total opposite. Think about a flea market with 100 tenants in the size of one Amazon distribution center. That's what we like. I want to ask why, Anthony, but before I ask, you guys are coming from a breadth of experience across asset classes, and it's a significantly sizable portfolio as well, primarily focused in Florida, expanding from there. You spoke to the difficulty in acquiring and building self-storage because of the institutional players moving into the space. Why specifically multi-tenant industrial? Why is that your focus now? We see it as storage was 10, 15 years ago, let's say, when it was more mom and pop operators, not as institutional capitals chasing it. And there's reasons for it, of course. I think we're probably some of the smartest guys in the room. We're definitely not geniuses. It's just that we saw an opportunity here because this is an under-focused sector of industrial in the real estate market. It's also very hard to manage. So we started our own management company in-house to manage this stuff. And I think that gives us a niche. And that's called base space. And what we did was we built out the management company as we bought assets. So we hired people as we bought the assets. That gave us time to learn and adapt as we were growing with the team in place learning. And I think it gave us a little bit of a competitive edge, if you will, because we were the first ones really going after this space hard. Now you hear people talking small bay, shallow bay all the time. It's kind of like becoming the sweetheart section of industrial because people are realizing even though it's not as shiny and as clean as the big box stuff, the yields are better and it's very resilient. The more tenants, the less likely you are to lose a tenant. It's just simple. And the opportunity there for you when you moved into the space was a combination of, putting your words into my words, a high volume of amateur operators or mom and pops as opposed to institutional operators and the operation or management barrier to entry. Difficult properties to manage mean that you have to develop an expertise and you guys climbed that barrier to entry, as it were. Is that fair? That's very fair. It's very accurate. Those are the two points. There's also another point. It's just that you could still buy below replacement cost, which is a very hard thing to find, as I'm sure you know. So in this market, if you could find something you could buy for less than you could build it, you should buy it. It just makes sense. There's inflation going on. Things are getting more expensive. Construction costs went crazy during the pandemic. Everyone knows that. It costs more to build something. It costs more to fund something. It costs more to borrow money. So if you could buy something 
that you think it costs $200 to build. If you could buy it for 150, you should buy it. And that's what we're selectively targeting places where it's very high barriers to entry because of the points you mentioned. Also just that I don't think people would let you build this in a lot of areas like they used to. They don't want a hundred businesses in one park, especially when you're in these urban areas where there's already too much traffic. Those are grandfathered into there and they're close to urban areas. And it gives you, I would say, something sweet to offer a small business owner that says, listen, you're close to where you have to operate out of. You get a roll-up door, you get a little office, you get a nice air conditioning, get some parking. Anthony, how long have you been with Basis Industrial? I've been with Basis since the summer of 2021, so about two years. I imagine Basis has been around longer than that. Yeah, Basis was first MCSS Properties, which two of my partners formed in 2010. They built about 15 to 20 self-storage buildings together. They sold that portfolio to one of our existing partners now about three years ago. They brought on my other partner, Daniel Weinstein, in 2019 with the goal of rebuilding the storage pipeline and portfolio into another asset to sell, another big group of assets to unload in the future and make some money. We started doing that. And I think within two, three years, we'll have about a million three of self-storage buildings out operating right now. But what we saw was we had some extra manpower, some extra bandwidth, if you will. And we just saw a lot of similarities with the tenancy of these small bay multi-tenant industrial products. They're very much like storage tenants. They're sticky. They don't move a lot. They like their space because it's close to where they live or close to where they operate out of it. It's very useful for them. And when we saw it, we were like, no one's really looking at this stuff because it's so hard to manage and it's so spread out and not aggregated. It's something fresh and at the ground level that we really want to take advantage of. And I think we're getting there. By the end of next year, we should have almost a 5 million square foot portfolio all aggregated together with the same management company, same leases, same software, same backbone. It's going to be a very impressive little package we put together. I introduced you all as also owning and operating retail office and residential. It sounds like that's a small minority of the portfolio now. Yeah. Some of the retail and offices in the industrial stuff, there is some flexi retail. There's not strictly retail. We're going into a vertical now of some resi. We don't actually do any under the basis flag. My partner, Jay Masserman, owns Eden Multifamily, and they have a huge portfolio of multifamily. So you came on with basis a couple of years ago now, started in 2021. Was that in order to initiate this shift into a focus on multi-tenant industrial? It's funny. I was brought on actually to really run the development and construction operations of the self-storage development from the ground up development. And when I got there, I never really clicked with a group of guys like this, my partners. And we just said, there's other opportunities out here, but self-storage. And we found some of these things first, like maybe buy a building where we could add a self-storage building to it that comes with this industrial stuff. So we got one of those. And then we're like, we just bought a warehouse to convert into self-storage. That warehouse actually works better as industrial. And it was very organic and quick moving and kind of like think on your feet, coming out of the pandemic, coming out of changes in the world, coming out of this grand migration that happened to the South. And you saw in these areas of Florida where we're buying these things, the population sometimes went up 10% a year, 20% in one year during the pandemic. So these people bringing down these small businesses had no place to operate out of. We all came together and we said, well, I think there's a big opportunity to buy this type of product give these people a place to work out of and grow and incubate their careers out of. And we started buying them when interest rates were still not rising that terribly. 
We bought a couple of deals at pretty good cap rates. We started getting better cap rates. And by the time the end of last year, we had almost a 2 million square foot portfolio. And that we only started buying in March. So in nine months, we put together 2 million square feet. I think it's pretty impressive. That's March of this year? March of last year. So March of 22 to the end of 23, we put together 2 million square feet. All in Florida. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital's never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. Why expand out of Florida, up the East Coast, and also to Texas? Well, let me try to answer the question first, Anthony. Is it because the niche you found is the asset and not the market? And you have figured out or you are figuring out how to operate the asset in other markets instead of focusing on the market that you know? So we'll be definitely hitting the nail on the head with that. There are some markets we wouldn't go into just because we're afraid of them. Maybe the population's leaving too much or something like that. But I think this particular asset class works in the Northeast very well. It works in the Sun Belt very well. And it probably works anywhere where there's a decent population that has a lot of small business as well. As long as it's run right, this business is more unique than office or flat retail or anything like that. You have to have the space ready to go when a tenant wants it. There's no waiting for a tenant to design the space build it out like office or retail usually is. This is like, you take the guy, here's your office. There's an office, there's a conference room, there's a roll-up door, there's a warehouse. Do you want it or not? You want to add a room, you do it yourself after you move in. And that's what most of the deals are. It's get the guy in, he's got to be operating the next day because he's got to service a client or make money to support his family. It's very fast moving. They're all small business guys. They're all very impressive guys. They all have really good put together businesses. But uh, yeah, I think what you said is probably we figured out how to operate this asset in different places. Most of our expansion is going to be in the Sun Belt. We will opportunistically look in areas like the Northeast and high rent areas just because there are some places you could buy where the rents are so high. It makes sense just because the spread widens so much that it makes it advantageous. Anthony, the vast majority of our listeners, myself included, do not have your expertise and the expertise of basis. And we're not all trying to get into multi-tenant industrial. There are some patterns here with regards to what you all have identified in the market and in an asset class worth diving into. I'd like to sort of universalize those key principles or those things that you're seeing in the market and turn them into more broad advice for our sophisticated and broadly invested in commercial real estate audience here. How would you take what you guys are experiencing in your niche and 
How would you extrapolate that success into the investment activities of our listeners? That's a good question. There's similarities in all types of real estate. It doesn't have to be multi-tenant industrial. It doesn't have to be self-storage. In this market win right now where interest rates are rising, and it's, I wouldn't say it's a scary time. It's just a time of unknown future, let's say. It used to be they'll raise interest rates, there'll be a recession, they'll lower interest rates, and that's it. It looks like now because it might be stagnant for a little bit. If I was a real estate investor, someone in your audience, I'd be looking for a property to buy where I get positive leverage on. That means the cap rate going in is going to be the same or slightly higher than the interest rate I'm borrowing at. Some simple advice for everyone. It's going to be hard to find. Don't get me wrong, especially in a hot market. Those are hard things to find, but you will find them. And I think patience is the key. Look for the jewel that you could find that has that kind of metric. Let's say you could get a loan for 6 or 7%. If you're buying a 6 or 7% cap rate, you'll probably be okay because the difference in the leverage will make up the money you need to make. So that's one thing you should look at all the time. The second thing is you want to be in an area where you think there's going to be growth. There's not going to be called deflation in that area of population of money or anything else. So if you're in a place where people did migrate out of because of COVID, you're in a regulatory environment that isn't great, depending on what state you're in, probably people aren't going to come back anytime soon. So you should be aware of that and you should be looking at areas where there is growth or there's going to be future growth. And thirdly, I would say, be cautious right now. Some people still think it's a seller's market. I think it's a buyer's market. And the longer you wait, it's going to be more of a buyer's market. So be patient, wait for it. You're going to see the cap rate, call it inflation and the interest rate deflation happen, right? The compression. And sooner or later, it's going to have to happen because people are going to want to move stuff. They're going to want to sell it. And they're not going to think they're going to get these inflated prices they were getting a year or two ago. So be patient and wait for it and you'll get to find something that's worth buying. That makes a lot of sense. That's great advice. One more thought here. It sounds like you guys took a pretty hard pivot on assets that you acquired, meaning you bought it and then decided on a change of business plan based on what you were seeing in the marketplace and where the demand was for the physical assets that you had acquired. So even though after acquisition with the self-storage property values increasing, meaning that increased demand would have increased the value of your property to going for self-storage, you found that there was more of a supply to demand imbalance in another asset class and you made that shift. It sounds like listening to your story, another piece of good advice would be to look for the supply and demand imbalances in the marketplace where you're operating and make sure that the business plan that you started with is the one that's going to yield the best results for you and your investors. Is that fair? It's very fair. It's absolutely true. The one we brought up to you about changing a self-storage building to a multi-tenant industrial warehouse. Some groups, it's going to be a little harder for us local because they might raise money for a specific purpose. Our guys that fund us, our limited partners, our partners, our JV partners, whatever they are, they know we have this breadth of experience. The four of us have probably over 100 years together, if not more. And we've had a lot of success, thank God. So when we tell them, listen, we ran a supply-demand analysis, we ran a cost analysis, you might make the same yield on cost, but you spend it a lot of money, it's a lot safer to keep it industrial. They're like, oh, okay, it makes sense, and that's it. There's no questioning. They know we run the numbers, we're looking out for their best interests. We're going to give them a quicker return. And now they're getting dividends on that project already when a self-storage building might have took three or four years to see any dividends. So there's things like that. But what you're saying is absolutely true. You have to be nimble in this business. You have to be able to think quickly. If the market changes, change with it. 
adapt and overcome. You have to. Real estate, it's a real asset. It lives with the market. It's not just there collecting dust or increasing in value. It might decrease in value, then increase in value. You might have to do something to make it increase in value. So it's exactly what you said. You have to roll with the supply and demand metrics. You have to roll with the cost of money. You have to roll with the cost of real estate. You have to roll with population. You have to know everything that's going on around you. And I would say absorb all the data on your market. Try to know what the best of anyone that does. And then take advantage of those places where you see a niche or supply demand imbalance or a cost imbalance, whatever that may be. Take advantage of it. That makes a lot of sense. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's see. Let's go. Great. What is the best ever book you recently read? Capital and The Coddling of America. I love those two books. Inflation 2 by Forbes isn't bad. Capital is Thomas Piketty. I got to find The Coddling of America. I don't know who that one was. Just talks about how someone could give a speech of someone you didn't like, and it wasn't you didn't want them to speak. You just might not like them. Now it's like basically you don't want people to speak. I think everyone should be able to speak and say whatever they have to say. If you don't like it, just don't listen, right? It's not that big of a thing. It's by Jonathan Haddett and Greg Lukanoff is the coddling of the American mind. Anthony, what is your best ever way to give back? To the community? Listen, I think donating to churches, synagogues. My wife's Jewish. I'm Christian, so we do that. We try to donate to cause in our area, whether that's helping, bringing food, or assisting with people at camp. We do whatever we have to do. It's nice to live in a small community in Westchester. Everyone knows each other in my area, and they, they take care of each other and they help whoever's down. Anthony, on the deals that you have done, properties in the portfolio with basis thus far, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? I think the biggest mistake we made was on one asset in particular. We brought on someone from the asset to work for us just because they knew the asset. We thought there was an ease. We were first starting. And when you hire people that haven't done that job by themselves, you always have to have a backup plan if that doesn't work out. And we were getting the wrong impression, just thought they were going to stay to the person, and they didn't. And it kind of set us back on that ass a couple of months when they left. And we adapted, we overcame, we have a new property manager, probably better than that one was. And it's working well, but you got to always have a backup plan, especially with staffing. It's very important. You should always have someone who's like a utility player when you're running a management company or real estate company that could step into a position if they need to. And what is your best ever advice? In life or real estate? Yes. I think they're both the same. Don't make the same mistake twice, Slocum. That's the real thing. If you make the mistake once, like I told you, I started on construction sites and building high-rise multifamily buildings. And I worked with my dad for the first 15 years I was there, not for his company. He was just at the same company I was. And we always said, if we made the same mistake on the next project, we shouldn't be doing the projects. Last question. Where can people get in touch with you? My email, anthony at baseindustrial.com. It's pretty simple. That link is in the show notes. Anthony, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Thank you, Slocum. It was great speaking. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to besteverCRE.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.